0: So, today we're going to be talking about the Christian response to abortion. So, just to start off, describe in one word or emotion what you feel when you hear the word abortion. Murder. Murder. Sadness. Sadness. Yes, that's not an emotion. Or, yeah, just one word, I guess it could be feeling or emotion or something of that nature. Gut-wrenching gut-wrenching god hates it god hates it that's all right (laughs) so generally pretty strong reactions i think even some of us who didn't speak probably when you hear the word abortion probably as everyone is a christian in here i'm sure most of us have this kind of hard gut-wrenching response to what abortion is and kind of what it stands for so today what we're going to be looking at is the purpose and the purpose of the presentation is to show the appropriate christian response to abortion and so we'll see that the christian response should wholeheartedly oppose abortion but wholly love and cherish life and also a key part of this is loving those who are struggling to make this decision or who have already made this decision a huge part of our Christian response is not only going to be looking at why abortion is wrong and why we should oppose it, but also why we should love those who have already made the decision or are currently struggling with this decision. So our problem with abortion begins with the word abortion in defining what abortion is. I'm sure if I asked everyone, I just took a group of a thousand people and asked each of them what abortion meant, I would get a lot of different answers. So, for example, Planned Parenthood's website says, Abortion is a safe and legal way to end pregnancy. Well, the Webster's Dictionary would say, The termination of a pregnancy after accompanied by, resulting in, or closely followed by the death of an embryo or fetus. And then I put here what I think most Christians would consider abortion is killing a baby or Maybe you'd hear some other definitions of what abortion is. But the problem is, when you say the word abortion, a lot of people have different responses, different meanings, different interpretations of what is actually happening. So my first question is, why is it so important for us to define the terms when we discuss a topic like abortion?
1: I think uh, because, first and foremost, people uh, who are outside of body and even within they see it as something that's different. You'll have some people who say, well, the baby isn't really it's not really a baby yet. Mm-hmm. And so it's not life. And so when addressing it, we it's important for us to know what's their understanding of what's taking place.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's important that we understand where they're coming from. Because if we try to argue our viewpoint Against their viewpoint, but our word, our definition for abortion is completely different. They'll never match. You'll always be hitting heads because there's never going to be an understanding. So, how have you seen, just in general, lack of a clarity of a term cause issues in the past with a topic like this? Yeah? Uh, lack of
1: defining the term life. Most Christians would say life uh, starts at conception. Most. Uh, Abortion advocates usually pick a date somewhere much further in the future where uh, Life doesn't really begin until late term Yeah, some place in there. So I would say no matter who it is uh, Defining when life is. Yeah,
0: absolutely. So just defining it's important for us to define the terms Um, an article I found I thought was pretty um, even on both sides it was called (laughs) the ethics of abortion And really it kind of gave the two premises of the anti-abortion and pro-choice argument. So the first one is premise A, the fetus is an innocent human being. Premise B, it is morally wrong to kill an innocent human being. Uh, Conclusion is morally wrong to kill a fetus. Which would seem more like the Christian worldview, the pro-life response. But also looking, if you flip it over to the... um, pro-choice viewpoint premise a the fetus has no moral status premise b it is not morally wrong to destroy something that has no moral status conclusion is not morally wrong to destroy a fetus so it's kind of breaking down where the arguments come from is it are you killing life are you just killing a body part really killing, are you killing a clump of cells because if it's just a clump of cells it has no more moral standing than fingernails or pulling a tooth it's just Cell. It's just a piece of the body, a part of the body. It's not really a human with moral standing and moral background. So what's important for us to look at is the frequency of abortion. I don't know if you guys knew this. I always kind of thought, yeah, abortion's a problem, but not really that big of one. Like, I don't probably don't know anyone with that's had abortion. I used to think that, but this research of studying it. The Planned Parenthood website that says 3 out of 10 women by the age of 45 will have had an abortion in the U.S. That's 30%. So almost 1 out of every 3 women. That, that's pretty insane. And then if you look at um, the approximately 1.21 million women per year in the U.S.A. Aren't those numbers Tragic. That would literally be wiping Lubbock off of the face of the earth five times over almost. The whole city of Lubbock just gone five times just from abortion. And this is only in the USA. This isn't including other countries where abortion is also rampant in some of the European countries and things like that. So this isn't a light matter. This isn't something that's happening other places. This isn't an issue that other people need to deal with. This is a real prevalent thing that is present in our daily lives. Um, what's most important for us to understand is Roe versus Wade. What happened in 1973, really, this court case is what... There was abortions that have been happening since a long time ago, even in Bible times, but it was always viewed as illegal. And throughout time, different cultures have accepted or not accepted it. For example, like the Jewish culture... They viewed it as murder, so laws against murder applied to abortion because it was just the same thing. But this, in Roe versus Wade, is what made abortion legal. It actually stated, It established a woman's right to have an abortion without undue restrictive interference from the government. The court held that a woman's right to decide for herself to bring or not bring a pregnancy to term is guaranteed under the Fourth Amendment. So I'll read that again. Just listen specifically what it is giving rights to. Established a woman's right to have an abortion without undue restrictive interference from the government. The court held that a woman's right to decide for herself to bring or not bring a pregnancy to term is guaranteed under the 14th Amendment. So if you notice, it's saying women have the right to choose if they want to have an abortion or not. And the government can't interfere with that. And it was later decided. Um, kind of the trimesters. It could be up until the end of the second trimester. Which is basically six months. And after that was uh, generally made illegal. Now some states are making it even legal up till full term. But that was really what um, the main inference was. Until about six months it was okay. But notice what was completely missing in. The rights given. There was no right given to the father of the child. While there is plenty of situations where the father encourages the abortion and may even push the woman to have one, there are also many cases where the father wants to keep the child but has no power to do so. In the book Love Thy Body, I'll be referencing it pretty often. It's one Tom suggested. It tells of a story of someone who was at an abortion clinic and saw a man just gut wrenched because he had no power to change the decision. He's like, is there anything I can do to keep my child? It was all in the power of the woman to decide. And also maybe most importantly, the person who has no right in this is the baby. There's no the Fourteenth Amendment is therefore excluded from the baby's right. It is all given to the mother. There's no protection of life and their freedoms. They are just viewed as nothing they're viewed as expendable by the choice of the mother so when people say the government or the law is um unbiased it's just letting people have the choice no it's not unbiased it's making a very clear bias that the baby and husband have no right to choose it is only the woman's right to choose and that is where our uh um Big issue in this topic come from is the idea of abortion and women's rights. Um, this is an article by some, like a, a feminist who is supporting abortion. And a big push of the feminist and women's rights movement is that they should have the choice. And you can't tell them what to do with their body, especially as a man. You cannot tell a woman what to do with their body. But even another woman, you can't judge me for what I do. You do what you want with your body, but you can't judge me for what I do with my body. And this is not every uh, feminist or women's right movement. By no means does every one of those support this, but this is a big staple among most of them, is that abortion is a woman's right. It's giving women freedom over their body. And in this article, I think it really shows the, this worldview that supports abortion. The first quote, she's talking about the abortion and anti-abortion movement and the misogyny of the anti-abortion movement And the desire to control women that underpins their actions should never be underestimated. So in this she's talking about how George Bush and the Pope and some other uh, pro-life people have been pushing back against abortion. And notice here what she's saying that the pro-life movement is trying to do. Control women. And maybe the uh, strongest statement she makes that gives her worldview is the second one. Rather, women have shown throughout history that they will have abortions when they consider it necessary and they feel entitled to make that decision about their own bodies and lives. And therefore, abortion must be done safely and legally. Anti-abortionists, on the other hand, actively support criminalizing women and abortion providers and making abortions illegal, which condemns women to suffer, even to die for having an unsafe abortion." So if you read this maybe a time or two, you might see some interesting logic she's using. Really the logic she's saying is that these women are going to have an abortion no matter what. Women have always had abortions when they thought it was necessary for their circumstances. And no one can judge that. They've always said it was necessary. But what you need to do is provide safe abortions because they're going to do it no matter what. So you're opposing women's safety by not allowing it to be legal, because they're going to do it either way. That's really the argument she's pushing. Women have the right, no matter what, to have an abortion, whether it's legal or not, so you better make it legal and safe so that women aren't suffering while having abortions. Seems pretty backwards, because it's assuming inherently that the women should have an abortion no matter what, and we're... People who are against abortion are essentially blocking their safety and blocking their resources to do this. And basically the whole thing is, it's a women's right, who are we to choose? So, do you think, for you guys, do you think women's right, do you think abortion is exclusively a women's right? Why or why not? Maybe hearing from one of the women specifically. Do you think abortion is a woman's right? Why or why not? No <laughs> because it's not about life is not about rights, you know letting someone live does not as If it is murder I mean if the uh, infant if the fetus is a child, then it is murder, and so someone else right. no one else has a right to kill that that child. Yeah Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. if you're saying. That it's a woman's right. Who's taking? Who has the right to take a life? Even if people want rights. I was going to say that uh, the way I
1: view it, and I hope I'm not getting uh, far in your presentation, but the baby, the baby is not the woman's body. Just as if if I had a child living in my house, that baby is not my body. It's not my property just because he lives in my house. He's under my care, and so. In a way, to me, if you kill the baby that's living inside you, it's almost like, though it's a stretcher, maybe that's just how it makes sense in my mind, it's almost like killing a child that lives in your house because it's a strain on your house. Yeah. Yeah. It's a strain on your household. Yeah.
0: Yeah, What?
1: I do not
2: believe what I'm about to say, but I am being the other side for a second if
0: it's just a cluster of cells, why does it matter? The woman has the right to do that if it's just a cluster of cells. Well, we'll actually be addressing that very soon. So we'll get into the idea of, is it actually a life or not? So um, we're gonna move on. And this is something I found extremely interesting. And it is, a study was done over about 900 women to find the top They tried to find the top and main reason women had abortions but a lot of them um, had multiple reasons so these percentages don't add up to 100 this is just a percentage of the 900 women that answered for each of these so look at these top 11 reasons reasons that were given for them having abortion not financially prepared not the right time for a baby partner related reasons need to focus on other children interferes with future opportunities, not mentally or emotionally prepared, health-related reasons, wanted a better life for the baby that she could provide. That one just, it seems so backward to me. She, so you, you wanted a better life for it, so you don't give it a life. That one just seems backwards. Um, not independent or mature enough for a baby, influence from friends or family and don't want a baby or place the baby up for adoption which of these surprised you the most oh um before i mentioned the health related reasons one a large portion of that wasn't actually fear of um loss during like pregnancy of death it was more they had alcohol or um, drug use and so that was the health related reason and also i wanted to mention it earlier but specifically this I'm going to be talking about widespread, the main reason for abortion, just for any reason. I'm, not, I'm specifically not going to mention about if a mother is going to die, um, because that's a very, very, very small case of the mother facing death, so we can't use that as an excuse. And also I'd argue that that argument for abortion is still arguing for life because you're still taking life into consideration of the mother. And if the mother is almost certainly going to die, life is still being considered. So I wanted to clarify that as well. But so these um, top 11 reasons, which shocked you or maybe stood out to you the most? Yeah, Harold. Interesting that
1: uh, the very number 11 that you posted, 4%, is that they don't want a baby or they don't want a place for adoption. Usually we think that's like the top reason. And so that's interesting to me that that's only 4%. Yeah.
0: It's also
2: interesting to acknowledge the fact that it's a baby. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. What's interesting to me is, uh, where's that? Need to focus on other children.
0: Yeah.
1: It kind of stands out. Actually, mostly because I know a woman who had an abortion for that reason. Mm -hmm. And she later on told her daughter that she had one. And it caused a huge problem between both of them for a long time.
0: Yeah, a lot of people think it's only like... Uh, single women or women who don't already have children and they just don't want children. But um, there is a lot of cases where women will have a second or just because they already have children, they can't take the responsibility or that's what they think. So if you'll notice, almost all of these have to do with circumstances and generally because the baby is unplanned. Because look at, other than the health-related reasons, the smaller percentage that has to do with maybe the mother dying, almost all of these are circumstantial financials not the right time not um ready not emotionally ready real partner related problems they didn't want to have a baby with their current partner all of these things seem to relate from this idea that it was unplanned it was an accident so now we need to get into after we've overviewed it now we need to see the christian response to some of these things and one of our biggest jobs as Christians is responding is not only knowing what we're against, but knowing why we're against it. And it's really important that we understand the worldviews that um, people who support abortion buy into, maybe without even realizing it. Because your action can have a meaning behind it that you don't actually mean. You can do actions, and it's saying something about what you believe, even if you don't outwardly say, I believe this is true. But what you choose to do and think is okay so we need to remove false views false beliefs so the first one is the view that uh, life begins at conception many people would argue life doesn't begin at conception it's some later date that they become a life it's only a clump of cells when it is first born and a lot of times so- the and. The pro-choice movement will say, we are the scientific ones, pro-life is only based on faith. They'll say, they're the side of science, and we're the side of faith. And you can't force faith on anyone. We have science. But in fact, life begins at conception, science supports the pro-life side. Science specifically states, I even chose one of the wordiest definitions, straight from an embryology textbook. This is a textbook, a scientific textbook, about embryology, the whole idea of Embryos and fetuses, and how they grow. And this is what it says human development begins after the union of male and female gemites or germ cells during a process known as fertilization or conception. Fertilization is a sequence of events that begins with the contact of sperm with a secondary eye code and ends with the fusion of their pronuclei and the mingling of their chromosomes to form a new cell. The fertilized ovum, known as a zygote, is a largely diploid cell that is the beginning. Or primordium of a human being. So science is saying the people who study this very specific thing says this is the beginning of human life. This is the beginning of a human being. Human development begins here. And not only science agrees, but God would agree on this. God agreed that life begins at conception. Psalm 139, 13, and 14. You created me in my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Job 31, 15. Some context. Job is arguing that he hasn't done anything wrong. In this section, he's saying, I didn't treat my slaves bad. I didn't do any of this. So this is, he's referencing his slaves in this. And he's saying, did he not made me in the womb make them? Did not the same one... Form us both with our mothers. So he's, he's referencing his slaves, but he's still saying he realized God made not only him, but his servants in their mother's womb. God was at work. In Jeremiah 1 4 and 5, this one really strikes me because it's saying, The word of the Lord. So this is God directly talking to Jeremiah. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart appointed as a prophet to the nations. So before you were even born, before I even formed you in the womb, I had set you apart. And I don't want an answer to this question, but this makes me think, how many of these over a million babies per year did God have plans for, did God set apart to do wonderful things, and they were never brought to this world? never fully brought into it other than being in the mother's womb it's tragic tragic to see because we know god is saying i'm the one who made you in the womb i'm the one who forms you we see it all throughout scripture the idea that god is the one who forms us even though it's in the mother's womb god is the one at work forming this child so a lot of people now with scientific advances are actually beginning to come to the side. Even people who support abortion will begin to call it a life. Or that you are taking a life, which might sound crazy. So we've first seen that life begins at conception, and really science, now that it's come to our aid, people have had to change what they believe. Some people still believe this, and we need to educate them. But a huge thing that is prominent now is something called personhood theory if you were um, Thomas taught about this actually at the workshop specifically about sexuality and this personhood theory will actually relate to many of our topics because personhood theory is essentially where you separate your body to the lower level and who you are like your conscience to a higher level and really what that means is my conscience my morals all of this is up here and it has nothing to do with my body My body's expendable. My body says nothing about me. So how have you guys... What other issues maybe have you seen this personhood theory in our world? This idea that all that matters morally is up here. and What I do with my body has no effect on who I am or what I say or what I do. Transgenderism. Transgenderism, absolutely. What else? What other issues maybe do you see that come out of this belief of separation of the mind and conscience, and like the body.
2: Yeah, I'm not going to talk about it
0: very much, because it's my presentation, yeah. but definitely the hookup culture and casual sex pornography. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I won't go too far into that either, but really the, all of them are saying, my, what I do with my body doesn't matter. The transgenderism and even some homosexuality, I won't go into all of them, but they all kind of are on this basis that my body doesn't say anything about who I am and what, are, what I should do. And so you make, make that separation of the mind and the body. But where we see it come into play with abortion is people will say, yes, okay, science has proved that it's a life in the womb, that it is alive, but it's not yet a person. They'll argue that it is not yet a person, therefore it has no moral standings. And they'll argue that it's not a person because it's not self-conscious, it can't make decisions, it's not self-aware. All of these things are what constitute a person. So even though it is alive, it is a baby in your womb, you're allowed to kill it because it has no real life. And sadly, some of the people, they're called bioethicists, that talk about these things, some would even argue it's okay to kill infants up until one of them said until age three i think that's more of an extreme but because how conscious and morally like self-aware is a three-year-old how able are they to make decisions and so on and so forth and i know that sounds crazy but that's kind of the view that okay if it is life and we can see that science proves its life we're just going to Say it's not a person, therefore it doesn't deserve moral rights. And it does not morally wrong. It doesn't say anything about me because it's not killing a moral human being or a person, as they would say. So it's really important for us to understand kind of what personhood theory is saying. Because many people might not know what personhood theory is, but they might buy into it to some sense. Because they'll say, Okay, it's okay to kill a baby, but as soon as it is brought out into the world, it's not okay to kill it. Well, what changed? What made it more of a person now than it was before? You're making a separation where there's no actual scientific separation. You see, a the personhood theory is what your body does, what you do with your body, has no effect and even if a baby in the womb is human, it is okay to kill it still, because it's not yet a person. It doesn't have the rights and protections that a person would have. And a person, different people argue what it means to be a person. That's one of the biggest problems with it, but most would argue that they need to be conscious or self-aware. Well, the problem with personhood theory is no one can agree on when a person becomes a person, even the people who came up with this theory can't actually decide when it happens. They're saying, um, oh, maybe it's now, or maybe it's now. And there's no scientific proof of it. It's actually non-scientifical. Science proves that as soon as conception happens, and that beginning of the human being starts, there's nothing from the time that it grows to that till adult. That is a tr- dramatic transformation. From that time on, it is a gradual growth into adulthood. There's no dramatic change, there's no dramatic shift ever that science has been able to prove that would constitute when it becomes a person. And also the consciousness issue. So are you saying that some of us who aren't quite as smart, aren't quite as self-aware, are less human? Because that, really, if that's what constitutes you as a person, where does the line stop? And some of these people would even say mentally disabled people aren't people because they don't have full cognitive function. You're not a person. So this personhood theory goes through a wide uh, slew of things. And Nancy Percy's book, Love Thy Body, really goes deep into a lot of this stuff. And it talks about a lot of our topics. And it's a really, really good resource. And that's where I got most of my information and facts about what personhood theory stands for. So just going back biblically, Genesis 1 and 2, first off, God defined what it meant to be a human, what it meant to be a person. He made us in his own image. He never made a stipulation. He never made a condition of when we became his creation. He breathed into man, and he told them to go and multiply, go and make more people created in God's image. And there is no stipulation of once you reach this, then you become a real protected person. There's no idea in the Bible at all that a person, any time from when they're in the womb to when they're outside the womb, are any more or less of a person. Maybe one of the strongest arguments, is kind of a weird place to go, is Luke 141, where we see Elizabeth is pregnant with John the Baptist, and she goes to see Mary, the mother of our Savior, and in the womb, when they come close to Mary, John the Baptist jumps in the womb, and the Mary is filled with, I mean, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. So you're saying that this conscious human being isn't conscious at all. It just happened to jump by chance in the womb. This, this baby had no, didn't know what it was doing. It was just doing something. And this whole experience happened. But it wasn't really a person yet. It was just a clump of cells, kind of growing, a human being growing, but it wasn't really, didn't have any worth really powerful image it was actually on the cover of life magazine it's a little graphic but this is a womb of a woman about six months into pregnancy and they were doing a surgery on it and something interesting the surgeon was pro-choice before this incident and he was operating on this baby six months in so pretty much right at the edge of when you could have an abortion and as he was about to close up the womb because they had done the surgery the baby reached out and grabbed his finger. That's what you're seeing. It's the baby reached out of the womb on its own and grabbed the fingers. And this is, again, the time period when it's okay because it's not a real person or not enough of a person to be protected. And the actual, Clint, the surgeon became pro-life after this experience. Just It was revolutionary for him. Like, how could you experience something like that? and still think it was okay. Another thing is our, even our states are confused with how they define what it means to be a person. So, for example, uh, in the state of Texas, if you kill a woman who's pregnant, you're going to be charged with two murders because killing a fetus is considered murder as well. So if you kill the mother and it kills the child, you're killing two people, they consider it a person. But in pro-abortion states... They have the same law where if you kill a person, like kill a mother, and she's pregnant, you're still charged with killing two people. But they have a stipulation, if you read the tactics book, it talked about this. There's a stipulation under it that says, unless it's of the mother's consent, which would mean like abortion. So the only difference between legal murder, or illegal murder, legally murder, and just the ending of a pregnancy that's legal is the mother's permission in California. That's the, that's the only difference. So if you were to kill someone, a mother, you'd be charged with two crimes, but if the mother chooses to take that own baby because they support abortion, then it's legal. There's no criminal act. There's nothing associated criminally with that. This is one of the bigger topics. What about... There's a lot of if statements. Some people will say, what about rape or incest, which is normally a cause of rape? And this one is, was harder for me because like, I am not in any way trying to undermine what women have gone through. If they're raped, the horrible experience that may be, especially finding out you are pregnant from such an awful, awful experience. But I looked into just some people who were raped or born from rape. And what I found their statement so powerful. I don't know if you can read. This. They're kind of blurry up here. A couple of other signs say, My child is innocent, just like me. Our law should punish rapists, not babies. We, need, uh, we needed support, not abortion. My daughter was conceived in rape. She's my child, not a monster. I was conceived in rape. I'm still a human being. And I read a story of some people who were born from rape, and they're pro- pro-life, I mean, sorry. They're supporting this and they're anti-choice because they're saying whenever you make the excuse that it's okay to do it in rape, you're saying that my life is expendable. You're saying my life is less than yours. My mother could have killed me with no consequence. Because of the sins of my father. My father doesn't even face death penalty for what he did to my mother. Yet you putting the innocent baby, the innocent party, up for death, saying that it's okay to kill them, while the father, that guilty party, the one at fault, doesn't even face that. He faces prison time. And it's just powerful to me. And again, this is something that we have to tread on carefully and love these people, because this is a horrible situation. I'm not trying to undermine that at all. at the same time if we realize that it is a human being that's being made by god and god might have a purpose god does have a purpose for that child we have to view it differently even if it comes about from a horrible horrible circumstance it can still be a blessing it can still bring good into this world because god can make good out of any situation so our response to these things first off we have to stand up for truth Boldly, we cannot shy back. This isn't a problem that other people are facing. This is a problem we need to stand up for as Christians. We have to support life and we need to educate ourselves. We can't be tricked into buying into some of these false things they claim is scientific when really it's not. We need to be smart. We need to be educated in the truth because evil is cunning, Satan's cunning. He's going to try to convince us that it's okay. He's going to try to tell you it's okay. And most of all, we must not be silent. And men, this includes you. I'm not just talking to the two women who are allowed to talk about the subject. Because that's a lot of the argument. Only women are allowed to talk. Because men don't have female body parts, so we have no right discussing it. In the book, Love Thy Body, there's an example given of a man who basically admitted he was copping out because of this oh I just, they'll deal with it but people, they won't listen to me anyway and his wife challenged him and said no you have to stand up because that's what men do men stand up for innocence men protect babies that is who men are that's what men have to do and when men shy away from that then we see results that are horrific catastrophic so us as men we can't let the people who say, oh, you're a man, you don't have an opinion. We can't let that discount anything because we're fighting for life. We're not fighting against women's rights or anything of that nature. We're fighting for life. We're fighting for the rights of a baby who may or may not grow to be a woman. We are fighting and protecting rights as men. Martin Luther King Jr., our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter. We can't be silent about it. No longer can we be silent. But our second part of our response has to be love the sinner and hate the sin. So we must strongly, wholeheartedly oppose abortion, but we've got to greatly love those who are struggling with this decision, struggling with the circumstances, and also people who are struggling with the guilt of having had an abortion. Five minutes, Okay. So we have to love them. I'll go through this quick. It's a LifeWay study, and this is about mostly women in churches. And this might be tragic. It was for me. 76% of women indicate local churches had no influence on their decision to terminate the pregnancy. 43% of women who had an abortion agree that it is safe to talk with a pastor about abortion. So less than half would be willing to talk to a preacher pastor about this. 49% 49% of women who have had an abortion agree that the pastor's teaching on forgiveness doesn't apply to terminated pregnancy. So half of women who have had an abortion don't think that when the preacher talks about forgiveness, it applies to them. Over fifth, over half, 54% of women who have had an abortion agree churches oversimplify the decision about pregnancy options. They're saying the church is is saying it's making it way more blatant and not taking into circumstances that come with it. They're just basically saying, don't have an abortion and are not willing to do really anything about it or give any more options. Two-thirds of women, 65%, have had an abortion agree that church members judge, judge single women who are pregnant. And maybe this last one is the most tragic of all. 52% of churchgoers who have had an abortion have no one at church who knows of their terminated pregnancy. So over half of the women who have had abortions, no one, not a single person in their church knows that they've had an abortion. Think of the guilt. And all this They've been hiding all these years because they're afraid to tell the church. We have to be known for love. Just for the sake of time, we'll go through a couple of these. Again, we know our command in the gospel is love. Love each other as Christ has loved us. In our mistakes, we have to love each other. Love your neighbor as yourself. We have to love each other. I don't know how many times I have to say it. Even in 1 Corinthians 13, love is the thing that rejoices in truth. It protects. It hopes. It perseveres. All of these things, we have to love these people wholeheartedly. Think of the difference we could make if we were known in every place and throughout the world that we were the people who loved without exception. If we always sought to listen rather than judge. If we stood up for what is right but loved, Christ, but loved as Christ loved. So standing up for what's right but loving as Christ loved. If we forgave others as Christ forgave. How can the church meet these responses? Think of all these circumstances. Think of what the church could do to fill these circumstances. Financials? The church could cover that. If that saves a life, the church can help provide that. Not the right time? church can provide counseling, can provide women who have been through similar situations, who can give counseling, partner-related reason, can give relational therapy, can give premarital, all these sort of relational things that they can help with to work through these things. Focus on other children, interfere with opportunities, emotionally prepared. You can go through the list, but a large majority of these percentages could be changed, could be affected by the church if we stood up filled our role and began to provide our resources and provide our care for these people. So just to recap, abortion is a huge problem and we can't deny that. Many defend it for multiple reasons. They'll say it's a woman's right. Life doesn't begin at conception or they'll buy into personhood theory that's not a person. But we must stand lovingly and boldly for truth. Stand against false views. We have to cherish life, love people, and use our resources to help people who are in need. Thank you. I don't think we have time for questions. So you have 5 minutes. Oh. You
2: spoke for 40. I don't know Maybe Thomas didn't tell you all the premise. I don't He know. said 40 minutes and then for, 5. Yeah, I wasn't 40, exactly. If you if you just lectured and then just questions only at the end, you could do 30 10. Oh,
0: okay. Well, so you guess, kinda, you did a
2: hybrid, so I gave I gave you 40. Okay.
0: Got five. So, so five minutes. Just go ahead. Why, why, why does life begin
2: at the point of sperm or of gamete connection? Why is that the point of life where we consider life to begin? Why, why do you say that life is simply cells regenerating and not having any? Any being to them.
1: Can anyone answer
0: that? Yeah, I mean if you want.
1: (laughs) Well I think in any other context, biologically speaking, just the study of biology itself, it would say that cells equates to life. For example, like, uh, if we found cells on another planet, that's finding life. We wouldn't say that we could just kill those cells on another planet and that's okay. People would throw a fit and lose their minds with that.
2: Well, I want to answer that to some more degree, too, that, uh, that we need to be an understanding of. The minute those cells connect, it is its own DNA at that point. Its new DNA, it's its its own unique set of cells that are not that human being anymore. Yeah. They become, at that point,
0: DNA speaking, a different person. Yeah. That's where it begins. Kind of like... Paul's example of kind of being in the house in a more specific sense. The baby is being nurtured and protected by the mother's womb, but as soon as it begins, it is its own life. There is no... It's a different life. Yeah, it is a different life. It's not and there the is, mother
2: anymore, just right then and there.
0: And if you don't consider that life, you can't consider us life, because there's no distinction from the time that happens till how old we are now. I would definitely
2: argue there's a huge distinction between DNA and Connecting and making something new in the in in the womb compared to me now, I, I have I have conversation, I have vocabulary, I have relations. Well, I would argue there's a <laughs> difference between me now and when I was two. Well, that's true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean it goes back to a beginning point
0: somewhere. And still all, and what you were saying is would be more personhood theory. You were alive the whole time. You just weren't necessarily a person. But if you buy into personhood theory, you have to be able to define when you become a person and when you're not. When is it okay to ki- is it okay to kill a one year old? Because they are not, they can't fully speak, they can't have a conversation, all these things. There's no clear defining line. If you buy into that line of logic, go ahead, Tara. Question about personhood
1: theory, and you kind of, you kind of mentioned that they just don't have a they don't have a line. They basically they believe that. Personhood begins at a point, but they can't tell you where
0: that point is. Yeah. Is that kind of what you stated? Yeah, it's. Um, it depends on... What I'm saying is as a whole, they can't agree. Each okay. individual person probably has a spot, but it, there's no agreed-on spot. And some people would put it far further along in development than others. So the whole idea of personhood theory is there's no... They can't find a spot because there's no scientific spot where you can see major transformation, or major change, or major becoming conscious, becoming a person.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, because it's, it's interesting to me, because uh, if you go scripturally, and you go on the eyes of Jesus, there's obviously a differentiating point someplace past childhood um, that even Jesus recognized. And he recognized it in the complete inverse of how he talked about it, um, saying, be like the children and who are innocent and pure, is how Jesus stated it. And so I'm, I'm, curi- I'm just kind of curious about that in relation to personhood theory, because there's, there's obviously, you know, there's a gradual growth, we know, in life. But obviously there is a, a something that is crossed where, um, I'm not saying where personhood is achieved, mm-hmm. but where um, self-awareness yeah. and that is achieved. And so I was just interested.
0: And I would never argue that self-awareness doesn't happen at a certain age. That, that's not what I'm arguing at all. What I'm arguing is that you can't bind the personhood theory and say that as an excuse for taking mm-hmm. life. Because people who bind the personhood theory are saying it is a life still. Yeah. So that's a whole different yeah. argument. You're saying it's a life, but you're saying it's okay to kill it because it's not conscious enough yeah. so it doesn't have a moral being. Yeah, go ahead, Ian. This is just a thought with personhood theory. Like It goes beyond even children. You can look at elderly people who have things like
1: dementia. Yeah. Yeah or whatever, and say, well, they're not a person anymore because they can't yeah. reason through them, Absolutely. so yeah. you might as well, you
0: know. Yeah, exactly, That's that goes into euthanasia, euthanasia and stuff too. The person, in theory, goes mental illness, old age, all those, yeah. I think
1: viability is a big argument that I've heard. Like, if well, the child won't be able to live or, or it won't have a good life, it might not make it. And it's, it, I think there's a really big problem with that by putting more value on a life that's in a more wealthy, more, a a place where statistically children would be much more likely to live as opposed to a child in, like, Uganda or something. But statistically, a lower percentage, a life is still alive
0: wherever it is on the globe. Yeah, and I would say the circumstances, there is adoption too. That is, if you really feel you're out of your depth, that is an option. That is a way that you can try to provide it a better life. And again, that plays into what us as Christians need to be doing, is looking for ways to help there are twice as many pro-life basically life centers that help women with these things as are our abortion clinics so don't let the world lie and tell you that there's not resources available i looked it up and there's almost 200 in the state of texas alone there are resources but we need to be providing them we need to be helping with them we need to be showing love so that people are willing to talk to us over seventy percent said they weren't even willing to like The church didn't play a part in the decision they made. And that's just tragic to me. That they were attending a church, but the church played no real role in how they felt about what they did, rather than judgment. I think that's my five minutes, probably. All right. Well, thank you, guys.